Now, I appreciated that song. That's that is uh, it's my utmost desire to be closer to the Lord than I am today, day by day, drawing closer to Him. Romans chapter six. Turn to Romans chapter six. I don't know if, if you've ever, Pastor, if you've ever studied a passage and just felt like it's, it's too great, the, the truths in the passage are just too great to express in words. That's sort of how I've, how I've felt as I've been studying this. If you want encouragement, read Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 8 especially. That, that'll encourage your heart. And we're going to look at, look at that a little bit. I'm going to give you a recap before we dive into Romans chapter 6. The, the case that Paul has been laying out, and uh, I'll just give a summary of each chapter. In Romans chapter 1, we know it, we're very familiar with it, it speaks of the universal guilt of all of mankind, specifically of the Gentiles. They, they know God, they have the revelation of God, the revelation of creation, they see the things that were made, they know there's a creator, and they reject their creator. And the purpose or the reason they reject their creator is because they want to walk after the flesh. They want to sin. They love sin. They want to do their own thing. They want to enjoy the pleasures of this world for a season. And they reject the Lord. And it's a willful ignorance. It's a choice that they make. And we can, we can feel sorry for the people that have never heard the gospel. And yeah, I feel sorry for them. But at the same time, the Bible says here that, that they have revelation. If they, reject, if they reject the revelation that God has given that there is to the Creator, it is so self-evident. You cannot look up at the stars. You cannot look at the moon and say, oh, this, well, this just all just happened. You can't do it. Common sense tells us there's a creator. And because, because they reject their creator, because they reject that revelation that God has given them, and they walk after the flesh, they choose to do that, God gives them over to a reprobate mind. They dive deeper and deeper and deeper into their own sin. And because of this, they're, they're condemned. They deserve death, and they're going to experience the, the, the judgment and the wrath of God because they've rejected him. They've rejected the one who loved them and who created them. Chapter 2 speaks of the universal hypocrisy of all of man's judgments. It speaks specifically of the Jews. And the Jews, the Jews thought they were better than the Gentiles because they had the law of God. They you know, they were proud of themselves. They, they taught the law. They, they you know, they, they studied the law. They wore the law on their head. They, they thought they were better than the Gentiles in that sense because they, they knew the truth. And they taught the truth. They spoke the truth. But they did not obey the truth. And it's, and it's not necessarily their fault they couldn't obey the truth. No man can obey the law of God. And this is a case that Paul is laying out. So both the Gentiles and both the Jews, 
Though the Jews had the revelation, had extra revelation, they had the law of God given them, not just creation, but the law also given to them, they still rejected God. And they were not able to uphold and keep God's commandments. And it says in that passage, it says that this causes, or it caused the the Jews' hypocrisy caused the name of God to be blasphemed among the Gentiles. And that's what works religion will always do. All these religions out there that teach a, a, a works salvation, it, it's, it's hypocrisy. You, works cannot save you. You being good enough cannot save you. I don't care what standard, even if you're following God's standard, if you think following God's standard is going to save you, you're, you're, you're in a mess. Because you cannot justify yourself. And works religion, that's why, that's why it's so sad that all these people out here who call themselves Christians, who profess to be godly, they, they, they put a horrible stain on Christ's name. The world sees the hypocrisy. They're not fooling the world. Especially the Catholic Church, you look at all the pedophilia and all the, the, the disgust that the Roman Catholic Church demonstrates to the world as of their Christianity. It's, it's so disgusting. It's sickening. But it's not just in Catholic Church, it's in Baptist churches too. It's all over the place. You pray this prayer, or you try to live this way, then, you, then you know, you're, you're up here. You've, you've, you've met this righteous standard, and you're a part of the club. It's, that's wicked. So Paul here, he lays out the case in chapter 1. He speaks specifically of the Gentiles. Chapter 2, specifically of the Jews. And the conclusion is, is they're all guilty. All of mankind is guilty. Chapter 3, we see the universal way to man's justification. Now, there is none righteous, both Jew and Gentiles are condemned by God's law, because no one is able to keep it. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh or no man be justified. No man's going to be justified by the law. They're all condemned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter how good you may think you are, doesn't matter what religion you try to follow, you're going to fall short because you can't keep God's standard. And it seems if we, just, if we left it here, it would be super depressing because we're all doomed. Mankind was doomed for an eternal hell. But there came a justifier into the world all hope seemed to be but lost. But there came a righteous Savior into the world, Jesus Christ, the God-man. He was sent forth to be a propitiation for our sins through his righteous blood. He declared unto us the righteousness of God by fulfilling the law of God and became the just and the justifier. He paved the way for us to fulfill the law through his sacrifice and resurrection. Therefore, where is boasting? That's chapter 3's argument. That 
Religion, it's trash. Your works, they're all trash. Christ, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Believe on him. If you want to receive justification, believe on Christ. If you do not, you're doomed. So where is boasting? How can any of us say, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Baptist? So what? What is, what is that? No, we're followers of Christ. We follow Christ. That's the, only, that's the only reason, that's the only thing that makes us different than anybody else in the world is Jesus Christ. So where is boasting? It's, it's gone. No man can boast because Christ is our justifier. That's chapter 3. In chapter 4, we see man's justification by faith demonstrated. Speaks of Abraham and Sarah. They were justified without the deeds of the law. Before the the law was even given to Moses, they were justified. How is that? If they didn't have the law given to them, how in the world could they be justified? By faith. And that's clearly explained in Romans chapter 4. Abraham was justified by faith. Sarah was justified by faith. David was justified by faith. And if you and I are going to be justified, we have to be justified through faith in Jesus Christ, the justifier. Chapter 5, Paul dives into the results of our justification through faith. And some of the results are we have peace with God. Here we were condemned, as we spoke of in the, in the beginning. We were condemned. We were guilty. No flesh was justified. There was none righteous. They were all condemned. They had all gone out of the way. There was none righteous. No, not one. But then Christ came. And became our justifier. By His death by His resurrection on the cross, by becoming sin for us, He justifies you and I when we put our faith and trust in Him. And the result of that, we're no longer under His wrath. We're no longer condemned. The law no longer condemns us because Christ has justified us. We have peace with God. And it doesn't stop there. We have access to God through faith. We can go directly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in time of need, when we're struggling, when we're failing. It's an an amazing thought to think that that a people like you and I, who who were the enemies of God, can be at peace with a holy God, with a righteous judge, It's only through Christ. There's no boasting in that. It's all of His grace. So we're justified. We have peace with God. We're sanctified through our trials, through hardships. We're saved from God's wrath. We have joy in the Lord. We have the life of Christ, which equals freedom from sin. We don't have to to follow our flesh anymore. We've given our flesh to the Lord to be crucified with Him. And he's gonna, he goes through that in chapter 6. We're going to look at that. 
and where sin abounded, where we were all condemned and sin just abounded, that's all there was. Everybody was in sin. It abounded everywhere. Christ came into the world and grace was extended to us. Grace was extended to the world and where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. This leads us to our topic in Romans chapter 6. Paul continues his argument speaking of the results of justification through faith. So he's laid out the case for our justification. He continues to speak of the results of our justification. And his argument is simply this. You're saved by grace from sin. So live like it. If I was just to condense it all to make it super simple for us all, that's what he's saying. You're saved by grace from sin, from judgment, so live like it. So let's, let me read Romans chapter 6. And I'm not going to read all of it, but we're not going to go through it all verse by verse. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Paul says, So because of all these things that we've talked about, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members of instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid! Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, ye become the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men, because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know if you noticed, but as we went through, there's a theme over and over again. Being made free from sin. It says it multiple times, free from sin. And before we dive into it, let's pray real quick. Lord, we thank you just for your word. We thank you for our justification. Lord, we thank you that when we could not come to you, when we were dead in our sins, when we were hopeless, you came into the world to give us hope, to redeem us, to save us from ourselves, from our own choices that we made. Lord, you didn't sin. You had no sin within you. Yet you became sin for us. You paid the penalty for our sin. Sin was our choice. But yet you paid the penalty for it all. Lord, we thank you for this grace. Help me, Lord, to, to explain this passage in a way that is edifying, a way that is truthful and encouraging and convicting to your people. In Christ's name, amen. So we see that grace abounds. Grace abounds to you and I, and that's the title of this message, is Grace Abounds. And there's a couple things we must know. Like I said, I'm not going to go through this all verse by verse, but I'm just going to skim through it and give you the, the, uh, just a brief summary of it. Things we must know, we see. We are dead and free from sin. Verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse 6 says, Knowing that this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we henceforth should not serve sin. Verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Verse 18. Being then made free from sin, ye become servants of righteousness. Verse 22. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. When we repented of our sins and received the gift of God, which is our justification, the crucifixion of Christ, his death, became our own death. It became our own crucifixion. It is as if Christ died as us, guiltless of any of his own sin, bearing our sinful flesh. It says Christ died as us. You know, Christ died for the sins of the entire world. But this passage tells us that he died for you, he died for you, he died for you, he died for you. It's personal. And because he died for us, because he paid our penalty, we're no longer condemned. And because he was holy, because he was righteous, because he lived a perfect and sinless life, became sin, died, rose again, we too will partake in his resurrection. 
we too have life in Christ. And we no longer have to live after that filthy, disgusting old man that was condemned. You know, this is repentance. The whole, us being crucified with Christ, that's what, in essence, whenever we get saved and we turn to Christ, in essence, what we're saying is, is Lord, this filthy person that wants to sin, that wants to do his own thing, here he is, Lord. I'm giving him to you. And Lord, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. I'm going to be who you want me to be. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. And Lord, I'm not going to live after that old wicked man anymore. That man that that sinned and sinned and sinned and lived in sin and loved sin. I'm not going to be that man anymore. And Christ said, okay, crucified him. He's dead. His penalty, his bondage, it's all gone. It's done with. 1 Peter 2. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2 verses 21 through 24 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. That's his father. He committed himself to the judgment of his father, not for his own sins, but for our sins. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. That old wicked man, we gave him up. We said, I'm not living after him anymore. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of the bondage. I'm sick of the guilt. I'm sick of all of it. I give it all to you, Lord. And Christ says, okay, I'll take it. And there he is, crucified on the cross. It's dead. The work's done. We had nothing good to bring him. No righteousness whatsoever. Not a single work. All our righteousness was as filthy rags. We gave all of our filth, all of our guilt to him, and he took it upon himself. Died, and that old man that we used to live after, we no longer have to live after him. He's dead. He's gone. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says, that man, that old me, he's dead. The life that I live now, I live in Christ. Christ is now my life. Galatians 5.24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. John 12.23-25 says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die... It bringeth forth much fruit. For he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. In other words, when you come to Christ, you give him it all. You get all your wants, all your desires, all your fleshly appetites. You give it to him, and he, and he, the penalty of it all, it's gone. It's, it's gone. And what do we do now? We, we live unto God. We live as God commands us to. That's what repentance is. But it's all gone. 
We're free from that. We're free from sin. We're free from the condemnation of it all. That, that old, wicked, fleshly, wicked person that we used to always want to live after and control us, gone. And we're alive unto God. Verse 10 through 11, back at our text. Verses 10 through 11 say, For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Christ is no longer a baby in a manger. He's no longer this, this body, this poor, wounded, beat up, humiliated, pierced body on a cross. That the world always depicts, the Catholic Church depicts him out to be all the time on the cross. Why, why did they show him like that? I, I don't know. That's not how he is now. He arose. He's no longer on the cross. He rose again. He's no longer a suffering Savior. He's no longer a dead corpse. He's a conquering king. He reigns. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And he lives to do his Father's will. Likewise, Paul says reckon. That word reckon, it's an accounting term. I used to have to do bank reconciliations. I hated those. But it, it, it's the idea of account it to be so. So account it. Likewise, account ye also yourselves to be dead indeed. So imagine if it's, it's, it's already done. The work is done. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God. We are alive unto God. We have the life of Christ. His resurrection, just as his death was our death, his resurrection is our resurrection. We're alive unto God. Look at John verses 14 or 13 through 14. And by the way, we have eternal life now. We don't have to wait before these mortal bodies die before we have eternal life. We have eternal life now. We're just waiting for these corpses that we live in to, 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 to pass away. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. You know, we still have this flesh. It's, we're supposed to reckon it dead. It's crucified. The Bible says it's crucified. But we still have to live in it. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But look at John 4, verses 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, this is, we know this passage. This is, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well who was an adulterer. Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Speaking of the, the earthly water there in the well. So if you drink of that, you're going to thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him well of water springing up unto everlasting life. When you accept God's gift of salvation, life is given to you. The life of God is given to you. Everlasting life, you don't ever have to thirst again. No longer thirst. No longer being bondage. You're free. You have the life of God. You're free to serve. John 3, verses 3 through 5 is the story of Nicodemus. Jesus told Nicodemus, ye must be born again. 
well, if you're born again, what, what, that, that's a life there. That, that's a, a completely new life that is there. So if you're born again, you're not the person you were before. It's this new life. And the Bible says unless you're born again, unless you receive that new life, which is the gift of God, it's salvation, it's him, unless you drink of him, unless you accept his gift, unless you accept his justification, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. You're going to hell. But if you repent of your sins, you have, you're given new life. The Lord gives you, gives you eternal life, the life of Christ, his own life, to serve and to live for him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Or old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That old man, he's gone. You're a completely new person. Free to serve the Lord. Free to follow Him. Free to obey. There's no condemnation anymore. There's no bondage. You're free. We must not live like we're condemned by our flesh. We're no longer just a worthless, sinful corpse. And I think so often we get, you know, we, if you live in a life of defeat, you're just always, I just can never get the victory over my sin. I'm always down. I'm just worth nothing. Now, if you're saved, if you're born again, you have the life of God. You're his child. You're not some worthless corpse anymore. You're not an enemy of Christ anymore. You're a child of the king. So we don't have to always live, oh, well, you know, I messed up today and I'm just going to allow that just to ruin my day. Turn from that, ask the Lord to forgive you, and live the life of Christ that he's given you. We have the life of Christ. We've been born again. We're new creatures. Verse 8 says, as I said, we still have these bodies that we live in. Verse 8 says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. We're going to see the Lord one day. You know, it's pretty great now, serving the Lord now, even in this, this mortal body that I'm living in. It's pretty great. But then, when I see Him face to face, when this corpse is, is, is gone, when, it, when this mortal body passes away, and I'm given a new body, I'm going to see him, I'm going to fall at his feet, I'm going to worship him. What a day that will be. We're going to see God. And we have so many gifts given to us now, but man, the future. What who wouldn't who wouldn't want this? Who wouldn't want this gift that Christ has given to us? I don't under I don't understand it. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. God's word, again, it says, verse eleven, Paul says, Reckon these things or likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead in these sin. Or Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in other words, he's saying just account it as, as, uh, account it 
as if it's, it's already happened, it's done, the work is done. And we're going to see the Lord. We're not, eventually, this body is going to be done away with, and we're going to see the Lord. So next we see, verses 12 through 11, we see that we must yield. And we see the reality of our mortal bodies. Now, if we just left it there, you know, I feel like something's wrong with me because I, I'm still tempted. <laughs> I still sin. I still struggle. But there's a reality of our mortal bodies. Verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it and the lust thereof. So we have our mortal bodies. Paul says in chapter 7, he says that he delights in the law of God after the inward man, but he sees another member in his flesh that wants to sin. So in other words, Paul is saying, I have the life of God. I love God. I want to serve God. I want to do what's right. I love God's law. I love it all. And I, and I want to live for him. And I want to serve him. But I see another member in my flesh. It's a pesky little thing. It's this body, the sin nature that we carry. And Paul, he, he, he kind of goes into his frustration a little bit with, with his own flesh. But you know what? He finishes chapter 7 with saying this. Uh, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says that he can... He says that with the flesh, my flesh wants to, wants, to, wants to sin, wants to do what it wants to do. But you know what? I don't have to live after the flesh. I can live righteously. I don't have to follow my passions. I can serve the Lord. And that's what chapter 8's all about. It says, if you walk after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, that is, kill, account them to already be dead, the deeds of the body, your flesh, ye shall live. And that's what Christians do. They don't live after the flesh. It's, the flesh is, is still there. It's still ever-present with us. We don't have to live after it. And it says here in verse 7, Paul says, um, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey, the, obey it and the lust thereof. You don't have to obey it. You're free from sin. You don't have to obey your lusts. You don't have to follow your passions. Hebrews 12.1 says, and I, I never thought about this. I've heard this verse tons of times. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Paul says that sin that easily besets you, put it away. Now we think, well, that sin that easily besets, besets me, I'm, I'm just doomed by it. I'm stuck with it. I have to live with it the rest of my life. It's just there. It's the, that's that sin that I always struggle with. No, Paul says that sin, put it away from you. Don't obey it. Put it off. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have to live with that. Put it away from you. Don't obey it. And it's always going to be a struggle. It's, you're always going to have to be putting that off. But you can put it off. You can have the victory. Christ has given you the victory, and that's a commandment. Put off those sins that easily beset and run the race, live the life of Christ, obey His will, do what He's called you to do. You know, sometimes we need to stop praying about our sins and actually do something about them. Now, I heard, 
that sounds carnal, but I heard, I, I don't know if you remember this at Grace or not, but I heard a preacher one time, he said, you know, he was talking about, you know, bringing all your thoughts into captivity and breaking free from the chains of the line. And he, he said, in essence, that at the end of the service, if you're struggling with something, if you're addicted to something, that you need to come down to the altar and you need to pray for deliverance from that sin and you need to not leave that altar until you're free from that sin. That's unrealistic. God's not just going to take the burden away from you. You're going to have to turn away from it. God's not just going to say, okay, I know you're really struggling with it. I'm just going to remove that, that, that temptation. No, you're going to have to live with that temptation. You can't pray the temptation away in a sense. Now, I know that, that when we're tempted, we can turn to the Lord and say, Lord, help me with this and all that, and that's great and all. But we have to turn from it. We can't just go throw it all back on God and say, God, here's a sin, and deliver me from it, deliver me from it, and I'm just going to leave it at the altar. No, you've got to go, you go out that door, live your life, and you're going to struggle with that sin. But you know what you need to do? You need to not heed to it. What you should do is come to the altar, say, Lord, I'm done with this sin. I give it over to you, and I'm going to rep- I repent of it. I'm going to turn from it, and I'm going to do what's right. That, that's what the Bible teaches us to do. There, I don't know any passage that says, well, just bring your sins to the altar and leave them, and just, just leave it at the altar, and you're not going to struggle with it anymore. No, you should, you should bring your sins to the altar and leave it there in the sense that you get forgiveness. But you can't just leave temptation there. It, it's, it's not going to happen. You've got to go out there and you've got to turn from sin. So Paul says, reckon your sin. Now, and that would be an easier, if, if we could do that, if the sin that struggles us, why didn't Paul just say, go pray about it a lot, fast for three days, and you'll be delivered from it? Hey, some of the sins that I struggle with, if I could fast for three days and be done with it, I would do that in a heartbeat. Fasting three, and I don't like fasting three days, but fasting three days, that's nothing compared to some of, some, of, some of the things that I have to struggle with on a daily basis, and you're the same way. If I could just fast and pray the, pray the problem away, I'd do it in a heartbeat. You can't do that. You, you have to turn from sin, and that takes self-discipline. That, that takes yielding to the Lord. I say self-discipline. It's really spirit, spirit yielding, yielding to the Lord. But that takes you telling yourself, no, I'm going to obey God. So deal with the sin, turn from it, don't yield to your members as servants of unrighteousness. Don't use your members, which is your, your arms and your whatever part of your body that you, you, know, you can think, your head, your arm, your hands, whatever. Don't yield your body to sin. Yield it to, to be instruments of righteousness, to be tools of righteousness, to be used by the Lord. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. You know, I think an example of this whole thing of, of just you know falling on your face and praying your sin. Turn to turn to Josh, turn to Joshua chapter seven. This passage always makes me laugh. Deuteronomy Joshua. I have a I read in a chronological Bible every day, and sometimes now if I'm, I have my regular Bible, I'm turning to I'm like all right, which book of the Bible comes next? Joshua chapter four, verse or chapter chapter seven. I'm sorry, verse four. We know the story. This is the story of of um, Achan. They went in. They went in to, and destroyed Jericho. God told them, "Do not take out any 
of the gold and silver and all those things, to leave them there, that they're all defiled, don't take them any. And we know Achan, he looked, he saw, he coveted, he took it. And the result of that we'll read about here. Verse 4, chapter 7 says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, oh Wait, this is, I'm in Judges. See, I told you I had a problem with, with my turning. Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua. This is one ahead. Right, uh, verse four. So then went up. Uh, yeah, chapter seven. Verse. So so there went up thither of the people about three thousand men. And, and the, let me uh, back up a little bit. Let me go just to the beginning of the chapter. But the children of Israel committed a trespass and the accursed thing. For Achan the son of Carmi, the son of I didn't practice these, so bear with me. Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of the Israel. That's never good. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go ye up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they turned to Joshua and said to them, Let not all the people go up. But let about two or three thousand men go up and smite, smite Ai. So they're a little bit greedy there after the victory. And make not all the people to labor there uh, thither, for they are but few. Uh, so there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. So they got whooped. And the men of Ai smote them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So here these people sinned. They sinned against the Lord. They did something they knew they were not supposed to do. God's anger is kindled at them. They go to war anyway. They're like, oh, we got this. We can go smite these people. It's no problem. Just send 3,000 of them or whatever. People die. It's not good. People die. So now the people are trembling. They're, they're scared to death. Oh, what's happened to us? Why are we losing? Why are we... Duh, it's because you sinned against the Lord. Duh. Um, it goes on. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon the face before the ark of the Lord unto the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God that we have been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall, and shall environ us around, and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? So Joshua's just pouring his heart out here. He's just distraught. And why are we even out here? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Get thee up, wherefore liest thou upon the face? And know what he tells Joshua? Deal with the sin. Deal with the problem. I, 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 I'm, I'm, and he, he doesn't really rebuke Joshua here. You know, in a sense, Joshua, it's a good response. But it's the point that I'm trying to get across. Joshua here just pours his heart out. He says, Lord, we've done all this. Why did you bring us out here? This is just terrible. He's just an emotional mess. Doesn't know what to do and all that. And God says, what are you doing? Get up and deal with the sin. There's sin in the camp. Deal with it. 
if we come to God just moaning and groaning, oh Lord, this sin that I'm struggling with, it's just so bad and I just can't seem to get deliverance of it. And all. I've done that a lot. And a lot of times, like the Lord just said to me, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're a child of God. You have the life of God. Turn from the sin. Obey me. Keep my commandments. Obey me. I've given you the victory. Grace abounds. We're silly sometimes. So we see we need to not yield to the flesh. We need to yield to God. So we just need to do what is right. Obey God's commandments. Feelings are irrelevant. We may not feel like we're a new creature. You know, sometimes I don't feel like I'm a new creature in Christ. Sometimes I feel pretty terrible. What does God's word say, though? It says that I'm a new creature in Christ because I've been born again. Sometimes I feel condemned or not condemned or enslaved by sin. What does God's word say? It says you're free from sin. So we need to yield to God. So what does that mean? Just just obey. We need to work as you ought. Sometimes I don't feel like working. You still gotta work. Pray as you ought, witness as you ought, study as you ought. Husbands need to lead their homes as they ought. Those are sometimes I don't feel like having family devotions. Got to have family devotions anyway. It's that simple. We like to complicate things and make big messes and be all emotional about things. Just have family devotions like you're supposed to. <laughs> it's, it's really that simple. And if, if you're busy or whatever, then deal with that. Go to your, go to your, your schedule. Say, so, okay, I'm busy here, I'm busy here, but when am I open? If you're not open anywhere for your family, there's a problem for one. But just do what you're supposed to. And, and that's really, and I'm, I'm making this super duper simple. And I encourage you to go dive in and study this. It's wonderful. But just, just obey. That's essentially Paul's argument. Romans chapter 8, the same way. Just live right. Live righteously. You're not condemned. You have the life of Christ. The last thing, I'm out of time, is we must beware Verse 16 says this, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. And that word live, it doesn't mean that if I sin, I'm doomed, I've lost my salvation and all that. No, it's live after. I'm continually living after sin. I'm living after the flesh that I supposedly gave to Christ and he crucified. If, you're, if you live in sin and always heed your flesh, you obviously haven't given yourself to Christ. He obviously hasn't crucified it with him. With, you, know, you haven't given your body to be crucified with, with Christ because you're, you're, you're living a life of bondage. Paul says, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. And in this verse says uh, that whom you yield yourself servant to, if you yield yourself servant to sin in the flesh, you're the servant of sin, which means you're not born again. So if you're born again, do what is right. If, 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 you, if, if you're living after the flesh, you're, you don't have the life of God in you. You've not given yourself over to the Lord. 
The wages of sin is death. And without Christ, without repentance, there is no justification. There is no hope for you. For we're all gone out of the way. There's none righteous, no, not one. So the conclusion is, are you justified? Are you a justified, born-again child of God? If you are, then live like it. Rejoice in the God of your salvation, your justifier, your redeemer, the one who's crucified your guilt, your shame, your condemnation, all of it. Rejoice in him and live live a life in obedience to him. If you're not, turn to him. It's pretty simple.